Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. I want to read it in a way, and I want you to see if you can pick up on a word tonight as we're reading through it, and then I'll give you what I'm going to preach on tonight. Verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of the children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded, uh, abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are in on earth even in him in whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom we also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and, un, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his, uh, riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the, that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for this evening. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it doesn't just sound good. Lord, it doesn't just sound wonderful. But God, it's absolute 100% truth. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you just open up our hearts, open up our ears on purpose. I ask you, Lord, tonight that you hide me behind the cross of Calvary. God, would you empty me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. And Lord, help, help me tonight, Lord, to make preaching, God, what you desire it to be tonight, Lord, and Help us tonight, Lord, just to glean from the word of God eternal truths, God, that can help us, 
live the Christian life effectively and God bring glory and honor to your name tonight. We just ask you tonight that you just work in our hearts, God, to help us to leave different than we came in tonight, Lord, and help us, Lord, to leave with exactly what we have, or what we need, Lord, to, to make it, Lord, uh, in this life that we're living, Lord, and God, give us the grace, God, give us the mercy, Lord, that we so desperately need tonight. Lord, we'll be thankful, we'll be grateful tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Now, the Apostle Paul is the writer of Ephesians under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and it is the first prison epistle that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And it's an interesting thought that this letter doesn't deal with any personal issues that were taking place within the church at Ephesus. You read the other epistles like Corinthians, that Paul talks in Corinthians that it was named among them that there were fornicators in the church. So there was those that were going to uh, law against one. They were suing one another. Christians were suing Christians in the church. And, and, but that's not what we see in the book of Ephesians. That's what, we're not, that's what we don't see in this letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, we do see where he does talk about their faith in verse number 15, but how their faith was so great and their faith was so inspiring that every time Paul thought about it, all he could do was to give thanks unto God for what he was doing. And so there's none of those issues that we see in the different epistles that Paul had to deal with specifically uh, with those different epistles, like when he wrote to uh, Titus and Timothy, how he, how he set those things in order that were lacking or that were needed in the church. But here, this letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus doesn't deal with them on a, on a personal level, so to speak. In essence, he's not dealing with a personal problem that has been brought to his attention by either somebody there or somebody who knows the church. But rather, the interesting thing about the book of Ephesians is that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, brings out these broad truths to the church at Ephesus. And, but he doesn't just present the truth to them. He tells them why it's the truth. Here's why it is the truth. Here's what the truth is and here's why. But not, he doesn't stop there either. Not only is there an, an, uh, an announcement of the truth and an explanation of the truth, but then there's an application of the truth. Paul said, here's the truth, here's why it's the truth, and here how you, here's how you use it in your everyday life. And it's a good thing to know the truth. It's even better to know why you know the truth, but the best thing you and I can do with the truth is actually use the truth in our everyday life. Apply it to our everyday Day life, and here chapter one presents us with the great truth, and I don't know if you caught on to it or not, it's that word in. I in, that two letter word tonight, in, 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 in. Now I counted it as I was studying, I counted it was in there 23 times in chapter number one. Now I'll tell you this, I'm not very good at counting things in order, it's just, I'm just, I struggle with it sometimes, so you might have counted 24 or 25 or 27 or, or 40, who knows tonight, depending on how you count, but we do know it's in there multiple times and not just the word in, I'm not here to preach on the word in, in of itself tonight, that little prepositional phrase or prepositional word there, but rather we are here tonight because that word in is attached to Christ. He says, in Christ, in the beloved, in him, in God, in Christ, in the Lord. And the broad truth tonight that we're gonna see in Ephesians chapter number one is what you and I have in Christ. What you and I have in Christ. So I'm gonna preach on this thought tonight, what you and I have or the, uh, what we have in Christ. Every Christian should know the following truths about being in Christ because it'll strengthen 
your faith tonight. It'll help you live the Christian life tonight when you understand and we know what we are and who we are and what we have in Christ tonight. Notice number one tonight, in Christ we have a promised arrival. In Christ we have a promised arrival. Verse number one is the introduction, that is the greetings of Paul to the church at Ephesus. And we get into the first one. He said, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Excuse me tonight. Well, you get down to verse number five, and there's a word tonight that a lot of Baptists like to run from. They're scared of because they're afraid if you say it, you automatically become a Calvinist. But the truth of the matter is that word in verse number five, predestinated, is not a word of John Calvin, but rather it is a biblical word with a great biblical truth behind it. And here's the thing tonight, if you've ever traveled by airplane, you know how hectic it can become quickly when your flight is delayed, especially if you have a connecting flight and you're not sure if you're going to make it there in time. I remember one time we were flying from Georgia down up that way towards Nebraska to go visit my mom and we flew out of Augusta. We had a connecting flight in Atlanta and then from Atlanta we flew into Omaha and we got delayed in Augusta and then we got into Atlanta, went to the wrong side of the airport, had to go all the way back to the other side of the airport to finally find our gate and I think we had maybe five, ten minutes to spare before uh, they closed the gates and I I remember (laughs) you haven't lived until you've run through the Atlanta airport with two kids in tow. One who's losing their shoe every step they're taking and one who's just tripping over everything. And finally, I mean, we had, we had car seats and all that. We're just snatching them up and, and trying our best to get where we needed to go. But I'm glad tonight that God doesn't have any misconnections. God doesn't have any delays tonight. God is always on Time. Now, it may not be your time scale, it may not be your time frame, but God is always on time. If he can show up to Lazarus, his tomb four days late and be right on time, you and I have nothing to worry about tonight. But we see here tonight that word predestinated tonight is not a word that you and I need to be scared of. It is not a word that you and I need to shy away from. It is not a word that you and I need to say, well, you know, I I don't want to ruffle no feathers. I don't want to make anybody upset. But rather, when you understand that in Christ, you and I are predestinated to some things and predestinated to a place tonight, it's actually a blessing to understand the biblical meaning of that word. It means you and I have a promised arrival that he gets us where we need to be tonight. In verse number five, it says that we're predestined. Look what it says, verse number five. According, excuse me, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, some will say if you're a Calvinist, that means that God predestined, God picked who was going to get saved and who wasn't going to get saved, and that you and I don't have a say-so in the matter. If God picked you, then there's nothing you can do to keep from getting saved. But if God didn't pick you, there is nothing you and I can do to get saved. And you say, well, preacher, I'm not a Calvinist, and neither am I, and I will say, but they'll say, if you're not a Calvinist, then you're an Arminian. And I'm thinking, so well, who is Arminian? Who is that? That was a man who believed that you and I have the, 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 by faith, you and I accept the free, we have a free will, we have a free choice in the matter. But I'll say tonight, I'm not an Arminian either. Why, preacher, Armin, Joseph Arminian believed that you could lose your salvation. And I don't agree with that. Well, what are you, preacher, if you're not a Calvinist or Arminian? What are you? I'm a Bible believer tonight. 
I believe the word of God tonight. That word predestinated means that it was already thought out by God. God already knew what the plan of salvation could accomplish and what it would accomplish in our lives tonight. But at the same time, he gave you and I a free will to choose whether or not we're gonna accept the free gift of salvation. But when you and I do accept the free gift, there is a predestinated uh, uh, idea behind it that it's gonna work out this way. Calvinism gets it wrong. It's not a pre-approval. Think of more of a planned itinerary. In essence, when you and I get saved, God says, all right, when it's all said and done, you know, sometimes in our Christian life, we don't feel this way. We don't think this way because life becomes so crazy and, and we feel like we're not in control of the situation, which we're not. God is. And there's all this stuff going on. But the truth is tonight that when you and I take our last breath or we go in the rapture tonight, we know where we're headed. Why? We're predestinated. God said, when you get saved by the grace of God, when you accept the free gift of salvation, here's where you end up. And no if, ands, or buts about it tonight. How does God know this? We'll look at verse number four. According as he had chosen in us him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Can I say tonight that salvation was, an experiment, was not an experiment that God came up with? In essence, he's not trying to figure out salvation as you and I are getting saved and as people are getting saved. God's not saying, well, uh, how, what are we gonna do next? How are we gonna have it? No, before the foundation of the world, before the earth was, before the Adam ever breathed, before man ever was, God knew how salvation was going to work. The Bible said, I think back in the book of Isaiah, he said, come, let us reason together. And it gives the plan of salvation. Who, who reasoned that? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. They knew how salvation was gonna work and they knew the end result of salvation. Well, preacher, and, and, and if you kind of, you gotta start in verse five, but then you gotta work your way backwards. Preacher, what are we predestinated to? Look at verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now that we're in Christ, we're already situated in heavenly places, but also when we get saved by the grace of God, now we are predestinated to enjoy and at our disposal all spiritual blessings. Well, preacher, what's a spiritual blessing? It's things that only the Spirit of God or that God can give you and God can do for you, things like peace. Right? Do you know what? That's what separates the Christian from the, everything else is we have real peace. It's not manufactured. It's not, we don't get up in the morning and, 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 and have to pep ourselves up and say, all right, this, I'm gonna do it. No, it is God working in us and through us tonight that gives us things like peace and joy and real love and, and extended grace and forgiveness. Those are all spiritual blessings tonight that can only be enjoyed by a born-again believer. But notice here, you say, well, preacher, that's wonderful, that's great, but look at verse number 11. There it is again, that word predestinated. In whom we also have attained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Well, preacher, does it mean anything different this time? No, it means the same thing. And here we are, we're predestinated as a saved individual to enjoy all the spiritual blessings of God, but verse number 11 tells us what else we get to enjoy, what? An inheritance. An inheritance. Now, how many of y'all out there wish you had a rich uncle? 
that, uh, <laughs> that loved you, and when he passed away, he left you everything. I'm talking about a multi-million dollar house, uh, million dollar bank account, nice cars. How many of us do not know we don't have that uncle, amen? I don't have that uncle. I, there's none in my family tree that you can say their name and a million dollars after it, and I'd believe you tonight. But notice here tonight, he said, well, what are we, what are we predestinated to? What are we pre-approved for? What are we, what are we promised tonight? To enjoy the inheritance of who? Christ. Look at verse number 11 again. Whom we have attained an inheritance. You're not waiting for it. You already have it. <laughs> you already have it tonight. You have also obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him. This wasn't your plan. Man did not make this up. Somebody didn't sit down together and say, you know what, let's make up a good idea. No, God said, I have already established and done what needs to be done. The moment you get saved, you are already predestinated to the purpose of who? God working and willing in your life tonight. God, this is all God's plan. It's mentioned again, verse, but look at verse number 12. That you should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ tonight. When it comes in trusting in Christ, we receive an inheritance. Who's Christ? He owns it all tonight. I'd rather have Christ's inheritance tonight than a rich uncle's. But notice here tonight, it is, it is according to the will of God. It is not according to our will tonight. And, and if you've ever known, if you've ever had to deal with uh, end of life, if you've ever had to deal with someone's a will and a state, you know how, how frustrating it can be when you have to take that thing to probate court and you have to go and prove all these kind of things. And, and, and when somebody comes out of the blue and says, well, I had a conversation with them five minutes before they passed away and they said that I could have the house. Well, what does the judge do? He has to go off the will. Right? He has to go off what the will clearly states and clearly says. And I'm glad tonight to know that the one who wrote the will for me and you owns it all tonight. Aren't you glad that in Christ we have a promised arrival? I know where I'm going. I know who I'm going to go there with, and I know who's going to be there, amen? It's already been predestined. God has already done what needs to be done. So in Christ, we have a promised arrival. But then notice number two tonight, in Christ, we are a prized possession. We are a prized possession. Verses six, six through eight, we'll get right there, but a couple of weeks ago, we... We, we went to the flea market over there on 56, the, the, the Red Barn flea market, and I grew up going there, and I grew up, you know, uh, about every other weekend we'd go there, and, and we'd find stuff, and we had a great time. But we were there last weekend, or not, not last weekend, whenever last time we went, and it's been a long time since I've been there. And uh, I, it amazes me how much illegal stuff you can sell uh, there and the things that you could buy there. And, you know, they'll say, well, it's just for tobacco. No, it ain't. <laughs> Let's stop telling lies here. <laughs> and it's like everywhere you, I'm thinking there's nothing for me to buy here. Right? I'm just gonna go and go back to the house and, and go to Walmart. At least I can buy stuff there that I can use. But we were walking down one of the, 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 one of the, 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 the things there, the aisles there, and a man stopped me in TR and he said, do you mind if I give him some baseball cards? I said, no, sir, I don't mind. Here's what I noticed that he did. See, he had a box over here that was, that was under lock and key and all the cards were in plastic covers. He didn't reach into that box to give my son baseball cards. He had a stack over here of cards. I mean, I'm talking about just one after another and he took a stack about that big and handed them to TR. And he thought it was kind of neat. We, we took it home and began to look at it. I didn't know a single football player that was in there. It was all the no-names. It was all the, the cards that weren't worth anything. 
He was giving it away to, some, to the kids that passed by. Here's the thing tonight. You and I, how do we know we, something is prized to us, especially how we take care of it, how we treat it, how we uh, guard it? And we see here tonight that, yes, Christ is a prized possession to you and I, but truth is, we are a prized possession to him tonight. And he, he proves it to us in verses six through eight. Look at verse number seven. Look what he says. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the, according to the riches of his grace. How do we know we're Christ's prized possession? One, he, he redeemed us. He bought us. That word redemption means to buy back, to, to pay for one who has is, who is owed something and that balance has been settled. That debt has been paid. Well, what did he pay with, preacher? Well, he could have paid with all the money in the world. He could have paid with all the diamonds and all the hills and all of that stuff, but it would not have been enough because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And yet Christ shed his own blood to redeem us. If someone was willing to pay everything they had for you, I'd say you're a prized possession. He said he redeemed us. But verse number six, he accepts us. Look at verse number six. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted because we did good things. Because we joined the church, we got baptized. We could quote scripture. No, we're accepted in who? The beloved. Who's that? Christ. We are accepted in the Lord tonight. Now, here's the thing. You, you'll say, well, preacher, well, he paid for us. Of course he has to accept us. Let me ask you tonight. Have you ever paid for something? And when you got it, it wasn't right. And it wasn't what you expected. Or it, it did good for a little bit and then it messed up. Let me ask you, what do you do with those things? You take them back, don't you? You call somebody, you call the warranty office, you get it fixed. Well, aren't you glad tonight because we're in Christ and Christ redeemed us, we are accepted in Christ even when we mess up, even when we fail. God doesn't say, all right, I'm done with you. You're not what I expected and therefore I no longer accept you. You're by yourself. No, even in the midst of my faults and my failures, I can go to bed tonight according to verse number uh, six tonight, know that I'm accepted in the beloved. He pays for me or he paid for me, but he also wants me but not because I'm good. Why does he want me? Because I'm in Christ. What did, what did the father say about the son when Jesus was getting baptized? This is my uh, beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so tonight we are accepted in God because we're in Christ. He redeemed us. He accepted us. But then look at verse number eight. And I tried my best to, to make it work uh, with good English, and I probably fail, but he abounds towards us. Look at verse number eight. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That word abound means to exceed a fixed number, to go above and beyond, to give more than you ever expect. Well, preacher, what has, he, what has God abounded towards us? Look at verse, in verse number seven, the riches of his grace. Let me ask you tonight, do you have just barely enough grace? Are you skipping by on grace? Is, is God rationing out grace because he's not sure he has enough? No, tonight he abounds all grace towards me. And at the same time, he abounds all grace towards you and towards you and towards every one of us in here tonight. How does God do that? He is God. Here's your explanation tonight. Well, here's the thing. How do I realize how rich this grace is? 
Well, look what he says right there in verse number eight. Who wherein abounded towards us all wisdom. Wisdom towards great. What is wisdom? Wisdom is applied knowledge. Boy, it was a great day in my Christian life when I found out that grace was far more than something that got me out of sin. Grace was something that I could experience without having to go into sin to experience it. Can I say the same grace that got you and I out of sin is so rich it can keep us from going into sin as well tonight. It can keep us from participating in it and finding ourselves in there. But he said, how do I know the rich? Well, when you learn the wisdom of it. And can I say tonight, and <laughs> that man asked me when I got saved, I said 2015, he did the math, he said, you ain't been saved very long, how, how, do, you, how do you know these things? And, I, and tonight I understand, and I, it took me all the way back when I be, first became pastor, and I went to the, the, the hospital, and they confused me for the donut delivery boy, and everybody, you sure are young now, listen, I may be young, I don't have it all figured out, but thanks be to God, there's some wisdom that I've learned along the way about grace. Then he goes on to say in verse number seven or verse number eight as well, not just wisdom, but prudence. Look at verse number eight. Uh, hath, where any of the bounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, you ask me, preacher, what is prudence? And to me, it just sounds like the name of a mean old lady. Right? <laughs> your name is prudence. Okay, we don't have anybody here named prudence. But if your name is prudence, it just sounds like you might be mean, amen? That word is understanding. And the more you and I learn and understand about the grace of God, and how rich it is, we realize that we got something far more valuable than we realize tonight. It is great value. It is richer than you and I could ever imagine. The more you know about the grace of God, the richer it becomes to you. Tonight, in Christ, I have a promised arrival. I know where I'm going. In Christ, tonight I've realized, and you can realize, just how much the Lord values you as his prized possession. But notice number three tonight, in Christ... We have a personal purpose. We have a personal purpose. Verses 9 and 10 tonight, he goes on to say, And having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which are both in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now, some of us tonight like a good mystery, don't we? Like a good whodunit. Right, we'll, we'll be glued to the television to find out at the end of the story or we'll read it in the book and at the end of the story we'll realize that is not who we thought did it. And that's not who we, we, we thought how it was gonna play out. I remember growing up and watching Scooby-Doo and trying my best to figure out who the bad guy really was before the show was over and I was hardly ever right. But that definition of a mystery is not what the Bible's talking about tonight. But notice, look, look, look at this in verse number nine. Having made known to us the mystery. Here's the thing, if you know it, is it any more a mystery? <laughs> no, it's no longer a mystery because we know. Well, what do we know? We know why God saved us and we know what God desires out of us according to his will once we get saved. And so we, well, 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 what's, what's, will, what's God's will for us, our life tonight? We are to be part of the gathering process. Part of the gathering process, right? Verse number 10, look what he says. Uh, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times that we might gather together in one all things in Christ. And Christ made this mystery known to us in the Gospels. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. What did Jesus say? The Son of Man has come and to seek and to save that which is lost. And if I'm in Christ and I'm doing the will of God, then my will and what I do ought to look like what he did. 
It ought to sound like what he said. It ought to, it ought to be what he did tonight and what did he do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let me ask you that. When's the last time you participated in the gathering process? You shared the gospel with somebody. You prayed for somebody. You witnessed to somebody. We are to share what we know with others. We're to be part of the gathering process. But notice this, verses 15 through 18, we also are part to, be, to be part of the gleaning process. Not the cleaning process, but the gleaning process. Look at verse number 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. See, Paul could have stopped at verse number 16, verse number 15 and 16. Listen, the church at Ephesus, y'all are doing great. Every time I think about y'all, I think about your faith, Paul said, I give thanks unto God. Y'all are doing wonderful. Y'all just keep that going. Paul said, no, God's got more for you. God has greater understanding, greater knowledge for you. And yes, we ought to participate in the gathering process, the giving of the gospel, the, the sowing of the seed and the sharing of the word of God. But at the same time, you and I are to be a part of the gleaning. What does that mean, preacher? You and I grow in our relationship with Christ. We begin to know more about him. This isn't something Paul just wishes for the church at Ephesus, but in Philippians, he tells that church that in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him, who? The Lord. And the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Here's the thing, when Paul said that I may know him, Paul already knew him. How do you know that? Paul was saved. We know Paul's account. We know Paul's testimony. He was on the way to Damascus and God intervened and God saved him that day and changed his life. So Paul already knew the Lord when he wrote the book of Philippians. But Paul said, I want to know him more. And Paul didn't say, I want to know more information about him. I want to know more statistics about the Lord and more interesting facts about him. Paul said, I want to know uh, the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said, I want to, I want to know him in such an intimate way that I'm willing to go through suffering that I might see grace and I might see wisdom and I might see the truth of God in a way I could not see it if I wasn't suffering. In the fellowship of suffering and the, the power of his resurrection being made conformable, he said, I want to be, I want to know the Lord so well and in such a way that if I have to die for him, I'm okay with that. That I'm fine with that. I'm talking about that missionary family over there in Iraq where the father was assassinated in front of his family. And I seen where his wife posted and said something along these lines that her husband was always quoting what a Moravian missionary said that the, that, 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 that the, the lamb may get his due reward from his servant. We see here tonight in our Christian life that so many times we miss out on the gleaning process and growing in the Lord ourselves. Why? We're too worried about everybody else and what they're doing and why they're doing it. Now, listen, we ought to be concerned one for another. We ought to care one for another and we ought to, we ought to watch out one for another. But at the same time, before I can help them, I've got to make sure I'm where I need to be and doing what I need to be doing this evening. Let me ask you tonight, have you asked the Lord specifically what his plan for you is? 
You are to be part of the, 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 the gleaning process, but you're also to be part of the gathering process. Then notice number four tonight. We've only got six more to go. I'm just kidding. This is the last one tonight. In Christ, <laughs> I heard that. In Christ, we have a powerful preservation. In Christ, we have a powerful preservation. The other day, we was making sandwiches at the house and we were, or eating breakfast or something like that. And uh, TR went to get the jelly out the refrigerator. And he opened up the top of that jelly and around the inside of that jelly on that top ring was a bunch of fuzzy stuff. I said, son, that jelly ain't no good. But you know, you think about it, jelly as a preserve, right? It is to be, to last a long time. And, and I guess it did. It's probably in our refrigerator for a long time. We had bought a new one and we had already misplaced the new one. And so we ended, up finding, we ended up finding the new one. Everything was fine. Everybody got breakfast. My kids didn't starve. But he said, preacher, why? Why did that, that jelly not hold? Well, when we got it home at first, the first thing we did was we broke the seal on it. And when that seal is broken, it's just a matter of time before mold begins to grow. But notice here in verse number 13, in Christ, you and I have a powerful preservation. We have a powerful seal. Look at verse number 13. In whom you also trusted, who? Christ. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, after, whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, this is in my notes tonight, but look at verse number 13. It doesn't say with a Holy Spirit of promise. There ain't but one Holy Spirit. That's why he said that Holy Spirit. Because there ain't but one tonight. But when we got saved, he said, after you believed, when the gospel was presented, the truth was presented to you, you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You got saved by the grace of God. At that moment, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And let me ask you that. Has God ever broke a promise? No. God never will, and God will, never has planned on breaking a promise tonight. But when we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, look what it produces in verse number 14, which is an earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession until the praise of his glory. Now, what does that word earnest mean? If prudence is a mean old lady, earnest sounds like a cartoon man. Like he, he does funny things as he goes down the road. But the word earnest there is a, what you and I would equate to a down payment. Right, it is something that holds over until the full amount is paid. We'd call that a down payment. And here it is tonight when we and I got saved by the grace of God. Not only did the Holy Spirit seal us, the Holy Spirit covers us. He covers for us. He pays for us tonight. He is, he is our, our, our earnest. He is what we cling to and we hold on to until that which is in part now that you and I are living in is made complete. It is, we, 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 we finish the course, so to speak. The Holy Spirit is a covering us until that final transaction and that final transition takes place. Look what he says right there in verse number 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. How many glad tonight that when we got redeemed, this world no longer became our home. This, no lo this world no longer is our end all. No, we have been promised a greater place, which goes back to point number one. In Christ, I have a promised arrival. But preacher, when does that transaction 
take place. Well, I'm so glad you asked tonight. Look at, uh, you don't have to turn there tonight, but 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 says it this way. Behold, I will show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is thy sting oh grave where is thy victory tonight the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is in the law but thanks be unto God which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ tonight we know tonight that we are sealed until that day nothing can break that seal nothing can change that Seal. Can I say tonight, listen, uh, and, 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 and just to help you out tonight with this doctrine of eternal security, we see here tonight that when we believed the truth, we trusted the gospel, we were sealed at that moment. I don't read anywhere in my Bible where there's ever a second resealing. Where you get saved again and then you get sealed again. But I also don't find anywhere in my Bible where that seal is ever broken. Where, where you know, you're no longer a child of God, just like it is with my children. One day they'll move out. And one day they'll do things that I don't agree with. One day they'll, 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 they'll live their life and they'll do things that I, I wouldn't do that way. But at the end of the day, no matter what comes, they're still my child. I'm still their daddy and their mama's still their mama tonight. But I'm glad tonight that there's nothing tonight that can break the strength of that seal. Look at verse number 19 of Ephesians and what is this exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places for above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all you know, there's not a single thing tonight. Not a single thing that can break the seal of God in our life tonight. The strength of our seal. We have all of God's power. Why? We're in Christ. So Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. He said, you don't realize. He breaks down this truth. Listen, you are in Christ. Right? And when we're saved, we're in Christ. He tells us why. Well, when you got saved, you were placed in Christ. He said, here's what it means when you're in Christ. You have a promised arrival. You're his prized possession. You have a powerful preservation. You have a personal purpose. So not only do we know tonight, the truth is one, we're in Christ. We know how we got in Christ when we got saved, but now we know why and what we're to do for the fact that we're in Christ. Let me ask you tonight and we'll pray. Are you living as one who knows why you're in Christ and what that means and how that looks in your everyday life? Life. Let's pray.